Uh, good morning. My name's Peter, and Sam is my friend here. Uh, so we'll be bringing the scriptures to you this morning. Reading from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 13. On page 806 of the church Bibles, if you have one, or on the screen behind us. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out and to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, instead go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Hi everyone, how's it going? It's good to see you all here. Uh, my name is Mikey, I'm the pastor of Providence Church down in Sunnybank. We're actually a night ministry of Southside, so we're part of the Southside Church family. Uh, it's great to hear, I love this church. I work with the staff here in the offices uh, throughout the week, so if you ever want to find me, you can find me up there with uh, Ryan and Ben Ross and, and the rest of the staff team uh, here at Southside. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here. I'm going to be here today, I'm going to be here over Easter, so you're going to have a lot of me in this next week, and um, hopefully... You like me. Um, I asked Ryan to get me a stool because I realized you guys get to sit on really comfortable chairs here. Um, down at, at Sunnybank where we, where we do church, the chairs are really uncomfortable. Um, so I'm jealous and I'm going to sit on a stool so I can be comfortable while we hear from God's word together as well. Uh, we've been, you guys have been going through the series called Follow and we're going to hear about what following Jesus looks like in this life uh, as we live out the life of faithfulness as Christians. So that's why we read from this passage in Matthew 25. Um, if you have your Bibles, follow along with us. I'm going to get into it. So let's, uh, I'm going to pray first, so let's get into it and we'll um, hear from God. Father, we do thank you that we can have your word in front of us, that we can hear from you, that you, can speak, that you speak to us through it. And we pray, Lord, today uh, that you'll open our hearts to receive it and that we'll consider what it looks like to be a Christian uh, in this world, uh, waiting patiently for your return. We do pray for this uh, in your son's name. Amen. Some of, a lot of you don't know me here, and I want you to get to know me a little bit more. Uh, one of the things about me that I want you to know is that I'm actually low-key passionate about our environment. Now, I, I don't look like it, but um, in the office, if you hang out with us long enough, you'll know I'm the guy in the office that keeps saying, why do we waste so much paper here? Why don't we have recycling here? 
if you talk to Petrina and, and Karen, they know I've been making these subtle comments um, because I wanted to do more recycling in the office, and I don't understand why we don't recycle here. And it's funny because I've been looking around in my circles, and a lot of people are getting onto this you know, eco-warrior trend. Uh, I've been seeing it a lot around us. I'm, I'm trying to be more environmentally friendly where I can. Now, I'm not, I'm not yet a vegan. Uh, I'm not making a war on waste or anything like that. I'm just taking little baby steps for myself to be more conscious of the footprint I'm leaving in this world. Some of you here might know that about me, some of you might not. Um, but what I've been seeing in the last 10 years is that we've been seeing this push in our culture and our society around us that we should be caring about our environment. We should be more aware and conscious of the impact we're making. It's really interesting if you look on Netflix or on there's a lot of documentaries now uh, on TV that talk about the environment. They talk about waste. They talk about climate change. They talk about sustainability. And I'm starting to see the need to do, to, to do my part because deforestation is happening. And cows are burping and farting methane that's causing more greenhouse gases. And we're producing tons of waste that just isn't recyclable. Clean, usable water is actually not unlimited like we think it is. And which is all pointing us to this reality that in the future, if we keep going down this path, our world is going to suffer. The future generations are going to have a world that's gone to waste. And this is what's happening. We're, we're being educated about how we live today. That how we live today is going to impact our future tomorrow. We're being encouraged to bring uh, keep cups, right? Um, reusable glass cups to cafes or, or um, for, for takeaway coffee, reusable water bottles when you uh, leave the house, reusable bags for shopping. I've, I've got lots of friends who are buying these stainless straws, right? Drinking straws. People are starting to compost more at home instead of throwing their food scraps. I mean, this is stuff many of you might have been doing for many years already. But it's brilliant. Um, I think it's brilliant because we should care about all this stuff. So why do we? Why do we care about sustainability today? I think what we're discovering as humankind is that there is no future if we don't start caring today. And it's, it's fascinating. Many of us live in this moment where we're all about the, the seize, seize the day, you know, carpe diem, YOLO, whatever it might be. And we think about the future sometimes, we think about what the future holds, um, but we don't really think about how it impacts the present. But we should. There are times in life where we, where we might. I mean, if you, if you get married, um, you know, before the wedding day, the months leading up to it, you're usually concerned about wedding stuff, aren't you? About planning for the wedding. You're usually thinking about, you're, you're consumed by your, your diet or your skincare routines or, you know, what, um, getting fit and lit for your, you know, to fit in your suit or dress. You're looking at venues on weekends and the reception and, and you're consumed by the future. I know for, for Ryan and Sarah, Sarah's going to be giving birth very soon and they've been, uh, Sarah's been watching what she's been eating because she needs to care about the future, the future of her baby. It depends on Sarah's lifestyle at the moment, right? Well, some of us, we, we've been to school before, we've, we've done exams. What do you do leading up to the exams? You have a very unhealthy diet, you usually don't sleep much, but everything you do, you're doing it to prepare for that exam. And today we need to ask ourselves, church, if we are God's people, how are we preparing for our future? How are we preparing for when we get to see and meet Jesus? See, Jesus shares with us this parable here in Matthew 25 about how we live in light of God's kingdom as we await the return of Jesus. This is a kingdom story, and, and, and it, it prepares us 
as we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus in our lives. Uh, I don't know any of you, a lot of you here today, but I know some of you might be new to church, new to the Christian faith, um, but this truth comes up often in the Bible. It's a, it's a future hope that impacts our present life. Jesus will return. He's going to usher in a new kingdom, an eternal one, and, and renew all things. It's the future hope for our broken world. And, and in the meantime, sure, we can work uh, for sustainability for our future, uh, for the future generations, but Jesus calls us to keep our hearts and eyes fixed on him and that future glory that's to come because, man, it will be glorious. Let's get into this story. Um, verse 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. See this story here? It's, it's a parable from Jesus. He's speaking to the first century Middle Eastern culture. We need to keep that in mind. And this was widely practiced when weddings happen. What would happen is that the groom would come to the house to receive the bride, and they'd go back to his house for the wedding feast, and they would just they'd party it up all night. They'd have a big um, banquet, and it'd be um, awesome. And the bridal party is basically the welcoming party that escorts them to the feast, right? And that's what these ten versions are for. They're the unmarried bridesmaids. And here they have one job. To hold lamps, to shine light, and be ready for the groom to come for the procession, to be the procession to head to that wedding banquet together. Now, you're thinking what I am, right, at this moment. You had one job. Come on, really? Is it really that hard to bring some extra oil with you to light your lamps? Now, they're outside somewhere in the dark, waiting with their lamps for the groom to come, and he's fashionably late. They're ready to hit it up to this evening party in their evening gowns, um, probably looking lit, right? And they end up falling asleep while waiting for this bridegroom to show. And five of these virgins, uh, or these young women, I was looking at some of the kids doing the coloring in, they're called the five young women, um, they weren't prepared as they didn't bring backup oil for their lamps. And Jesus here, he calls them foolish. But I'm reading this and I'm thinking, wait, this is, wait, this is a bit like me, actually. Because <laughs> I, I, I often bring my mobile phone out with me. You guys all have mobiles, right? And, and you bring it out all day with you and you realize what happens throughout the day? Your phone loses battery, right? And I've got two mobile chargers at home. You know, there's portable ones that you bring out with you everywhere you go. And I never remember to bring it out. And I go out all day sometimes and I'm, I'm expecting this battery to last till night. And I just, I feel like, an, I feel foolish. <laughs> because I'm trying to rely on technology, but it's not lasting me all night anymore. And if you know me, again, get to know me a bit more here, I'm a minimalist, right? I, I wear skinny jeans. I can't carry that much with me everywhere I go. I'm not going to carry a man bag with me. And so here I'm thinking, oh, I totally get this. I wouldn't bring that extra mobile charger with me everywhere I go. I don't bring extra oil everywhere I go. Who does that? I totally understand these women. I don't blame them. And why is the groom rocking up at midnight anyways? His bride is waiting and there's a wedding feast to go to. Why is he so late? So in this story, it gets late. And naturally, this, you know, like, like Jeff the Purple Wiggle, they get a bit sleepy. And uh, both the wise and the foolish are getting sleepy, right? And there's this loud cry at midnight, verse 6. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. 
No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, the story isn't too difficult to follow, is it? Five of them wake up and realize they're out of oil for their lamps. Uh, They're the foolish ones, because they're unprepared. They ask the wise ones for oil um, without saying please, and the wise ones have every right to say no. And also, there won't be enough, uh, which is totally a legitimate reason, too. And foolish ones, they have to go out. They have to go out and get the oil, and the inevitable happens. The groom comes, and they miss the procession. In fact, they miss the party. They're denied entry into the banquet altogether. Now, Jesus is preaching a message to the church here, isn't he? Jesus is talking about how he will return. King Jesus is coming, and he's going to take his bride, which in the Bible is always a reference to his people, to the church. But in this parable, he's not talking about that. He's talking about these virgins, and he's saying these bridesmaids, they're the church. They're the people who want to be in the presence of the groom. They're the people who want to, to, to be with Jesus at the wedding feast. I want to be clear, this isn't a story so much for those who don't want anything to, to do with him, people who, who wouldn't identify themselves as Christians. This is a story for his people, the people who identify as Christians. And so we read this and we're confronted with this question. Those amongst us who take the name of Jesus and call themselves Christians... Those of us here who want to say we want to follow Jesus, that's what the series is about, right? Following Jesus. Let me ask this question. Will you be a foolish bridesmaid or will you be a wise one? Before you want to answer that, there are three things Jesus wants us to consider. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back at a time we won't know. You see, in this story, the bridesmaids thought he'd be, he'd be there on time. Seven o'clock on the dot in his drop top. But he came at a time when they weren't expecting, Right? And we shouldn't be surprised then that when Jesus was still on earth and he said he'd return, that he hasn't come back yet. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it has been around 2,000 years since his death and resurrection and ascension. When, When will he come back? We don't know. When will he come back to end the suffering and the brokenness and sin of this world? We don't know. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because God is God. God is out of outside of time and space, yet always present, doesn't see a lifetime we do as a long time. Humanity has gone through, through 2,000 years of things like wars and, and revolution and natural disasters, but Jesus is still at work. Jesus is still sustaining and maintaining the world. And he's, for us, he, it looks like he's taking his time to come back. It might be tomorrow, or it might not be in our lifetime. I love how Peter actually puts it in the Bible in his letter. He wrote, writes in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I love it how Peter puts it. God doesn't see time the same way we do. 2,000 years seems like an eternity for some of us, but to God, it's been like two days. God tells us Jesus will return, but when he returns in glory, we won't know. 
We can't expect a time or day when Jesus returns. We can't read tides and, and gaze at stars, trying to calculate the end of the world and, and, and when Jesus is coming. But I know there are days, and if you're anything like me, there are days where you want Jesus to come back sooner, don't you? We read the news and there's so much sadness and disaster in our world. I know there are groups of, of Christians around the world that will come together and they will pray and they'll, and they'll pray words like Maranatha, if you ever heard that, an old Aramaic word that means, come Lord Jesus. We want to pray that because we see so much disaster and sadness in this world. We want to encourage those who are being persecuted with their faith. We want to know that God's promise um, is real, that Jesus is coming, and we want him to come sometimes. But God has a providential plan still for us all. And Peter in that letter reminds us to be patient. The time will come. We need to be vigilant until he does. And I think that's the second thing Jesus wants us to consider from this parable. He will return, and we need to stay vigilant. Stay vigilant for the bridegroom to come means being prepared. Yes, they all fall asleep, but that's not the point for us to glean, is it? He's not saying, don't sleep when you get tired. God gave us sleep and rest. That's a good thing. But to be vigilant, it looks like being prepared for his future arrival. And that, the implication of this parable is that we don't want to be caught out like the foolish virgins who don't bring that extra oil. That's a point Jesus is making. They think that they can rely on the, on the preparation of others. Hey, hey, can you give me some of your oil? Actually, I've run out of mine. And they want to rely on other people's faith. Don't we do that when it comes to our faith sometimes? We want to borrow the faith of those around us. If we just hang out with church people enough, you know, it'll rub off on us as well. I, I look around and sometimes I think, wow, I, I, that person is, is so bold in talking about Jesus with their friends. I want some of their faith. I wish I could be like that. Or I, I want that other person's faith who, who's just so stable and capable all the time. Oh man, that, that faith of that other person at church who, who can wake up at 4 a.m. every morning and read their Bible and, and pray, that's the faith I want to borrow. If only there was a way to, to somehow transfer that over. But Jesus is saying, no, you can't. This is something you need to be responsible for. As individuals, we need to be responsible and own our own faith. And Jesus wants us each to be prepared. He wants your oil to be on fire. He wants you to shine bright, shine bright like a, a diamond, to be a, a shining light for when he does return. This truth that empowers us to be prepared and live lives of legit faith and love and wisdom. We've got a king, a King Jesus, who has come to serve us. He came to, and then he saw you and I in need of rescuing. You and I who have to deal with the sin, the shame, the wretchedness of our souls and our world. You and I who were walking around lost and blind and aimless and purposeless without without meaning and truth, living for these temporary joys of sex, money, status, we carve out our happiness, the, the things that spark joy, but only are ever fading into this unsatisfying shadow of a greater reality on offer. Yet we worship these things. We worship these idols, hoping they'll deliver us, and they never do. Jesus comes and, and he rescues us from our blindness, from our lostness, from our sin. He shows us meaning. He shows us that who shows us the one who created us, the one who is worthy of worshipping, the one we get to live for. Friends, he was willing to die on a cross for you and for me because he wanted to save us. He wants to bring us to God. You know what that means, right? It means he wants you to be at that wedding banquet. 
He wants you to be at that wedding feast. He wants you to join him. He wants you to have a seat at his table. That's why he came to our world. That's why he died on a cross. He wants us to enjoy the presence of the good and great God for eternity. That's his gift. That's the gospel that we know. That's the king that we know, the one who sacrificed and serves us. Isn't that wonderful news? The grace of God in the gospel is what drives us to be prepared then for the bridegroom, doesn't it? The grace of God in the gospel is why we choose to follow him. It empowers us, it motivates us to seek after his kingdom, not just our little kingdoms in this life. That, that future reality of being at that wedding feast is what shapes our present reality today, how we live, how we speak, how we act. It moves us to be selfless, to be generous, to be forgiving, to be patient, to be, to be kind, to be gracious to those around us who even might hurt us. It allows us to be a people who li- whose lives point to and are prepared for the one who is going to come in glory and bring us to our eternal home. And for many of us, we say, hallelujah, amen. We want that. We want to respond and live for him and that purpose in life. And I, and I see it in this church. I see it in the way that people speak um, seek repentance in, our, in, our, in, in their sin, people who are willing to apologize and, and own their wrongs and seek reconciliation even if it hurts their pride. I hear stories of many of you here, and it's so encouraging. People who are willing to love the poor, those who are treated unjustly, people who are willing to sit with the, hurt, the hurting and the broken, people who, are, who have a greater vision in this life, living for something greater than themselves. This is what it looks like to be prepared for Jesus to be living in anticipation for him to come. But we're kidding ourselves, aren't we? If we're kidding ourselves, aren't we, that we think it's going to be a smooth ride? <laughs> Following Jesus, it's going to take perseverance. It's going to take endurance. It's going to be a struggle. And some of us here, we're going to struggle more than others at times. We're going to struggle with the pressure of conformity with our friends or our colleagues around us who don't know this king. We're going to struggle with our emotions and our desires that tell us to be selfish, to not take sin seriously, to take the title, but forget the one job God calls us to in this life, to be faithful to the King. We can't rely on the readiness of those around us and hope that that will rub off on us. We need to own our own faith. We need to be responsible that what we believe about who God is and the gospel is not only felt internally, but it's lived out externally. You are the one that God has called. You are the one who's been invited to that banquet, to that wedding feast. You are the one who takes the name Christian. You go to church. Your friends might know that you go to church. But are you a Christian? Does your lamp shine brightly before others? Is your speech, is your, are your actions, do they honor Christ, the one you take the name of? Now, I don't get to see you all that much unless you come to visit us in the office sometimes, but I, I do love this church, this family. And I need to say this, you and I, we, we do need to be worried about the oil in our lamp. <laughs> I really do want us to understand this. We can't, we can't just rock up to church and, and put on a facade of being a Christian. We might be able to fool a few people, but we can't fool God. He knows our hearts. You see, the foolish bridesmaids in our stories, they didn't get it. They, they didn't understand that the grace of God doesn't come cheap. Being a follower of a crucified Christ comes at a cost. When you take on the name of Christ, you take up his cross as well. And I heard that Ryan spoke about that last week. 
That means what we believe in our head and our hearts also affects our hands as well. We want to live and speak and act as, as followers of Jesus because that's what taking up our cross means. It means we're willing to die to self daily and live for Christ daily. We're willing to, to stand before God and admit our sin and our weaknesses and our failures and seek forgiveness and repentance. That we're willing to depend, rely, and trust Him. Even if it means sacrificing the things that seem good now, the happiness we might want now, and trading that in for holiness and internal happiness that is to come. You see, having extra oil for our lambs, it means being prepared. It means having forethought to what it means to live this life for, for Jesus, for, his, for the bridegroom, for the king, not just for ourselves. And honestly, I don't really want anyone here to get caught out, to take the risk and hope that that facade that we wear to church before others might fool God too. Being a follower means we're willing to take off the facade and fakeness and instead do, that, do the forensics on our heart and seek after a faith that flourishes, a faith that's shown in our love for God and our love for others. Jesus will return. Be prepared in faith. But there's a third thing, a warning if we aren't prepared. From verse 10, while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Keep watch, therefore, because you do not know the day or the hour. There's a warning here, isn't there? Be prepared for his coming. The gospel message through, through faith in the grace of God in Jesus means we get to enjoy the wedding feast. We get a seat at the table. We get to be in the presence, his presence forever. That's the future that's promised for the faithful Christian. And so let me be clear, our, our salvation is secured through Jesus and his holiness on our behalf. He's the object of our faith. Our faith in Jesus is what saves us. Your faith might not be as large as the person next to you. Your lamp might not shine as brightly. But if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the object of our faith, then your future hope is promised. He's the one who saves us. He's the reason why we do what we do and live out what we believe. You see, the, the foolish virgins here, they weren't keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, were they? And the bridegroom who was to come. But it's interesting because in our world, other worldviews will say, hey, you can actually earn your way. You can have your future, the future that you want through your good deeds and your merits. Earn your way to that wedding feast in heaven. You never know. If you're good enough, you might make it. And you try and you try and you never feel secure because there's always someone more holier than you. There's always someone whose light is shining brighter than you. Others might say, no one knows the future, so just YOLO, and do, you do you. Or, or the future is only for the strong and, and the weak should die out, right? We've heard that before as well. What kind of future hope is that? Jesus says, no, this is the future I've secured for you. My holiness, my perfect obedience has been given to you, so have faith in me. Trust in me, and your future is secure. We possess a, a hope far greater than any other hope this, this world or other worldview can give us. It gives us purpose. It, it empowers us to action, doesn't it? Jesus warns us, wants to warn us, if we're not trusting in Him, if our lamps aren't lit for Him, this is what it'll look like. The door will be shut. You'll say, hey, I, I know the groom. I know the king. I know his name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus will say, sorry, buddy, I don't know you. And I think it's so important to know that this is the future reality, too, for some of us. Some of us, if we aren't living in, in, 
in light of the grace that we've received. It means we can't take his grace for granted. We can't see it as cheap. We can't take his name and title and think that our career or our family or our wealth or our collection of sneakers will make us seem worthy before God. It's only through Jesus. Faith in him, faith in obedience and trust. You and I shining his light through Jesus and for Jesus that we get to be with God, friends. And I say this with a heavy heart. Being lukewarm in our faith, having the facade of being a Christian, but not actually shining the light of Christ in this world. Friends, we need to heed this warning. I want to see every one of you there at that wedding banquet with me. And I hope I'm there too. I hope I'm not foolish like these, these, the five foolish virgins here. And, I'm, and that should be our prayer for, for not only ourselves, but the person next to you, for me on stage here too, for your pastors. We want to be wise. We want to have extra oil in our lamps. We want to be prepared for the coming. We need to take our faith seriously. And, that's, and, and, and I'm so thankful that we're not alone. I know some of us here, we feel isolated when we come to church. We feel alone. But there's a reason why we gather every Sunday. There's a reason why we meet in groups throughout the week. God gave us one another to keep reminding us and pointing us to the future hope we have. We, we aren't doing this alone. And even in this parable, the virgins, they were together. There, and, and maybe these five virgins, they were, they were trying to help each other stay awake and be prepared, but they just weren't. Maybe they were foolish and they, they, they told each other, don't worry about bringing extra oil for your lamps, it'll be fine. <laughs> but... We're here together and we should be reminding each other of that truth. Jesus is coming back. What does it look like to bring extra oil? I've started this group with other men on Saturday mornings where we um, try to get fit. And it's, it's Saturday mornings are a bad time to try to get fit. But um, we do exercise together. And I've got a guy in the group, his name is Joe, and he's really um, strict when it comes to exercise. He's, he's, he's really hard on us, actually. He puts his timer on and starts timing us and he cracks the whip. And, and we, we started without Joe, and we, we just had fun together, and now it's really hard. But um, we need it. We need Joe in our life, and we need Joe to keep cracking the whip and telling us to, to train harder and work harder and set goals for ourselves. And, and I think that's how I see the church. We're here. We're, we're not here to, to come to church and, and watch a movie, download information, and go home. We're here to do boot camp with each other. We're here to encourage each other, to keep looking forward, to look at that future reality that's promised and secured for us. How will we be prepared for that, that future hope? We need each other to keep us accountable, to say the hard stuff sometimes, and to say the encouraging stuff too. To say, look at what God has in store for us. Look at what God has done for us through the cross, and look at the future. It's going to be better than anything this world can offer. It's going to be better than any sex or casual hookup you have in this life. It's going to be better than any degustation or happy meal you eat. It's going to be better than than winning the lotto or any success or career that that you think will spark joy. There is a a greater life to look forward to. And so we've got to keep pushing each other to to, to know that and to keep our eyes fixed on that. The the King is coming. Shine your life for Jesus who, who brings us to that heavenly, eternal paradise with Him. You know, I, I do wish I knew. I, I, I do, I, like, I, I always 
ask God, when, when are you coming back? I don't know. He doesn't really answer me. But I do hope it's soon. I do read the news sometimes, and when I say I read the news, I mean what Facebook shows me. But I, I look around the world and I, I see so much struggle and sadness still. Hate and violence, war and death and, and loneliness and depression. Our, our society, it always talks about being progressive, right? Uh, a few months ago, being progressive to a New York senator means seeing babies aborted up to full term. That's what being progressive meant. And I look around and I just see that life itself is getting more and more devalued. And here I am trying to reduce waste because I care about the future of our future generations and children. Maranatha, right? Lord, have mercy. I want Jesus to come back sooner, but I don't know when it'll be. But in the meantime, that, that future reality needs to shape my present it needs to shape our today. You and I have been called, called to follow Christ, to, to shine our light brightly for His glory, to be a witness of love and grace and compassion, and to bring the hope of Christ to a hopeless world. Will you follow Him? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we do thank You for Your grace, and we thank You for Jesus, Lord, who, who did um, come die on a cross that we'll remember and, and, and reflect on next week as, as we go through Easter. But Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that is something we should be remembering all the time, that we should be reflecting on all that as we read your word, as we spend time with your people, as we go through our days. Help us to remember that we have a Christ who came into our world, who died on a cross because of his love for us. We do pray, Lord, that that, that, that truth will uh, will, will resonate so deeply in our hearts, knowing that Jesus will return one day and make all things new. We'll take away all the sadness and all the pain and all the suffering in this world, all the brokenness. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Him, the King, the Bridegroom, who says He's going to come and take His bride and bring uh, the church to that wedding feast, that wedding banquet, that, that all of us here, we have been promised and invited to have a seat at that table with you. We pray that that future reality will shape our today. We, we pray, Lord, that, that that future hope will, will empower us and, and, and uh, motivate us to live a life that, that pleases you, a life that shines brightly the hope of Christ so that more and more people around us will know your name and, and, and the life that you've called us to, to live a life of faithfulness, will be um, what drives us. We do pray for that, Lord, uh, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.